Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number five of Now We're Talking, a, communication, a podcast about communication skills. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo. And in the last couple of episodes, we've been talking a lot about interpersonal communication practices. And I feel like we need to do one more episode on um, one more key interpersonal communication practice, and that's called self-disclosure. So for this episode, we're going to talk about self-disclosure, what it is, how to do it well, how it works in interpersonal settings and how it works in small group communication settings also. Last night I was watching the television show called Veep that stars, stars Julie Louis-Dreyfus as Selena Meyer, who's the president. And in last night's episode, uh, her mother dies and she has to give the funeral, she has to give a speech at the funeral, uh, the eulogy. And right before she's going to give the eulogy, she finds out this information that she's lost the recount. She was running for president, and she lost the recount in Nevada, which means, and she lost the popular vote. So the moment before she's about to give the eulogy, she just starts crying because she's so upset that she lost the recount. And she gets up uh, to the podium, and she can't do it. And she tells, she starts crying. She tells the audience she can't do it. Uh, in that moment, what? We can explain why that moment is so funny in a second, but uh, in that moment, we have a form of self-disclosure. Someone's feelings are being disclosed to a large audience. Now, what's funny about that is the audience doesn't really know that her tears are about her loss in Nevada and not her mother's death. They just assume it's about her mother's death. But I'm certain, I haven't seen the next episode yet, but I know what's gonna happen. I know that the television show is going to play that off as a really kind of a boost to her approval rating because the authentic display of emotion or what the audience thinks of as, as, as an authentic display of emotion, some form of authentic self-disclosure is going to make Americans in the television show version feel closer to the television character Selena Meyer as president. That's what self-disclosure does. It's the way of establishing some form of intimacy between two people. And it works differently whether you're in a one-on-one -on -one conversation or setting, so interpersonally, whether you're in a group setting or when you're in a public kind of setting like Selena Meyer was. Um, in any case, though, it, it works to, to manufacture that feeling of intimacy or to create that feeling of intimacy. So let's start with a uh, simple definition. Self-disclosure is the purposeful sharing of personal information with a partner, with a group, or with a public. So um, as per usual, well, let me say, let me put it like this. I've spent a lot of time so far in communicative practices that are other-centered, that focus on, on one's partner instead of oneself. And I've also spent considerable time criticizing or some people's need for what I called communicative narcissism, the need to express one's own feelings. But self-disclosure is a critical communication practices for developing inter intimate interpersonal relationships, for getting along well with groups, and for public communication practices as well. Uh, self-disclosure is necessary for initiating relationships of all kinds. 
It doesn't necessarily require one to share some deep and intimate detail of one's life. Sometimes just telling someone else uh, where you're from is a form of self-disclosure. So um, there's a range, in other words. There's a range of kind of forms of self-disclosure that have different effects. And in fact, uh, most communication scholars organize self-disclosure into four different categories. First, there are observations. Second, there are thoughts. Third, there are feelings. And fourth, there are needs. We usually begin self-disclosure with observation and thoughts and then move to feelings and needs as more trust and more intimacy is built. So in other words, feelings and needs are at kind of one end of the spectrum. Observations and thoughts are at the other end of, the, of the, the spectrum. We have, when we communicate our needs, when we disclose our needs and our feelings to one another, we usually need some intimacy first to do that or some trust first. Um, and that is, uh, feelings and needs are also slightly more powerful at building intimacy. An observation is simply a factual account of some aspect of your life. So for example, I could tell you that I used to live in Montreal. Oh, there's an observation. It's a self-disclosure of a particular fact. A thought usually includes a judgment about my experiences. So I might then tell you that I thought moving, I live in Toronto now, I, th I might tell you that I thought moving from Montreal to Toronto made my life easier. So I have an assessment of things. Or I may tell you that living in Montreal was a really great experience and it was a wonderful place to live. I could tell you it was a horrible place to live. So I've got some sort of judgment or some sort of analysis of the fact. That's when, I have, that's when I'm disclosing thoughts. Then if I wanna share my feelings, I'd begin to talk about the emotions I associate with some experience. So I could say I was really sad to leave Montreal, but I was also really excited to come to Toronto. Uh, so those feelings add a different layer of disclosure. Usually you don't start to disclose your feelings with someone until you first disclose some observations and some thoughts and some trust and intimacy has been built. Um, finally, I may start to share our, my needs or my wants in some situation. So I could say, you know, I was really sad to leave Montreal because I was leaving my friends behind and now I need or I want living in Toronto to make a new set of friends or uh, I need a new social circle because my life isn't the same without my friends from Montreal. So that's a need. Each of these are kinds of self-disclosure positioned on the scale from increase, uh, of increasing intimacy. So facts or observations to needs. What we need to do is engage in all four kinds of self-disclosure in order to build a trusting partnership of any kind. So the first thing you can ask yourself is, if I'm in a serious relationship, if I'm in a committed uh, relationship with my partner, you can ask yourself, have I disclosed observations, thoughts, feelings, and needs to this other person? Is the other person aware uh, of all four levels of disclosure? Um, some people struggle with self-disclosure, especially on the later scale, the scale of communicating feelings and needs. And some people are likely to remain guarded or hesitant to reveal personal information. Other people are extremely transparent. They're willing to share all sorts of personal details on any occasion or in any context. It's important to note that when, why, and how the disclosure happens conditions the effect of the disclosure. But as an initial kind of recommendation, it's if you want to get, develop a good, healthy interpersonal relationship, if you want a good relationship, you need to engage in all four kinds of self-disclosure with your partner. 
That's kind of a rule of thumb of interpersonal communication. Engage in all four kinds of self-disclosure. If one of the kinds of self-disclosure is missing, then the relationship won't have the same degree of trust or intimacy as it could, or would have a lesser degree of trust and intimacy than it could. Uh, self-disclosure is often done for self-focused, other-focused, interpersonal, or situational reasons. That's another thing to look out for. So the question becomes, why am I engaging in self-disclosure? You could want to be relieved from stress. You could be looking for support. You could want to correct information. Uh, other focus, so, so those are self-focused reasons when you want something personally from the disclosure. There are also other focused reasons. They include a wish to inform or educate a partner or respond to a partner's specific needs. There are interpersonal reasons that involve maintaining or developing a relationship. And there are situational reasons that uh, relate to direct requests or questions or the direct impact of personal information. So you have to ask yourself, so you should be engaging in these four kinds of disclosure. Oh, okay, now why? Well, you're either going to do so for yourself, for someone else, for the relationship, or for the situation. Situ um, you should basically be thinking about two things when choosing to disclose. And I would say those things are timeliness and appropriateness. So regardless of whether you're disclosing for yourself, for someone else, for the relationship, or for the situation, you need to be timely and appropriate, you need timely and appropriate circumstances to engage in self-disclosure. When we disclose information will often um, have an impact on the effect that information has. So the second rule of thumb here is engage, first is engage in all four forms of self-disclosure. Second is look out for timely and appropriate circumstances to engage in self-disclosure. Um, now, because um, the question is, well, if I am in the right circumstances for this self-disclosure, what effect will self-disclosure ha have? And what we know from the scholarship is that the process of self-disclosure is largely circular. When one partner discloses, then the other partner has a reaction, which is in itself a second form of disclosure. When the cycle of disclosure ends up going well, then a greater sense of relational intimacy is developed between both partners because one disclosure has elicited another disclosure. So let's say something really hap horrible happened to me when I was a kid. Um, I, I broke my collarbone and I separated my shoulder a bunch of times. I can tell someone about those sorts of details. I can include information about them or observations. I broke my collarbone when I was in seventh grade. Uh, it really hurt. I was embarrassed. I could, you know, go on to describe my thoughts and my, my feelings and my needs about it. Um, so that will likely elicit some disclosure from the person I just disclosed to in response. And that disclosure will likely be related somehow, and I'll talk about related disclosure in a second. Uh, the partner that initiated the cycle experiences a greater sense of self-worth, reduced stress, and positive effects on one's physical health. So I wanna to make clear here. One of the effects of self-disclosure is an intrapersonal effect. That is an effect on me as the act, as the, the discloser. So I feel better about myself. I feel more self-worth, less stress, and I have positive effects on my physical health. But in the wrong circumstances, sometimes self-disclosure can harm, can harm the impression others have of us. So a competent communicator kind of, as I was saying earlier, selects when to self-disclose and then benefits intrapersonally from, the, from that 
self-disclosure. Uh, so when done judiciously, this kind of disclosure is reciprocal, it's incremental, and it's symmetrical. This means that it guides the development of intimacy by encouraging both partners to share in an equitable fashion and with ever more depth. So a partner must always consider how the other partner conceives the level of intimacy and trust that's implied by the act of disclosure. One partner might actually think a particular personal detail is not very intimate at all, but the other partner might believe that the same piece of a personal detail is extremely intimate. In other words, what you perceive as personally intimate might not be perceived by your partner as personally intimate. So that's another aspect of the judicial form of self-disclosure. You have to sense when the disclosure is reciprocal, then incrementally increase the disclosure and hope that it's symmetrical. That is, you hope that the level of disclosure is the same that you're getting from your, your partner. Uh, so here are some other rules of thumb for effective self-disclosure. So first, be other-centered when you disclose. You're going to think about how the details you're disclosing will affect your partner. Are you disclosing just to meet your own needs, or will your act of disclosure cause your partner to be uncomfortable, or will it cause him to share details in return? Second, be careful not to reveal too much too soon in a relationship. Self-disclosure is incremental. And third, you should decrease self-disclosure if you're sharing details about yourself and your partner is not reciprocating. So if your partner is not reciprocating, stop, basically. Uh, a couple more things about self-disclosure to look out for. Uh, first, if you, or, or this is not first, or these are not coming in any particular order. So we know that there's this scale from observation to thought to feeling to need. And we know that some people struggle, men in particular oftentimes struggle with articulating their feelings and their needs about something. And this causes all sorts of conflict in heteronormative relationships where there's a traditional kind of man and a woman and the woman complains that my partner doesn't talk to me, doesn't tell me anything. Uh, what they really mean is that well, I'm not getting any information about how the partner feels or what the partner needs about something. So an another thing to keep in mind is that self-disclosure usually involves, in order for it to generate intimacy, involves story and not history, or at least it involves moving from history to story. Uh, and here I mean the way in which one partner discloses some details to another partner is very important, potentially more important than the content of the disclosure. Content can lose its intimacy in the manner in which it's told. So history, by history I mean the kind of manner of self-disclosure that's detached where one partner deals with himself or herself as an object and not as an involved kind of subject. If you've ever heard people talk about themselves in the third person, those people are being kind of trying to be more historical. They're trying to detach themselves from their own experience. Uh, intimate life details might be revealed, but those details are either just facts or they're generalities, and they don't have any particular life to them. History doesn't really draw two partners closer together because it's flat and it's boring. Story, on the other hand, is an invitation from one partner to the other to come closer. It's a form of authentic self-disclosure because it reveals the manner in which one partner is genuinely implicated in some particular detail. Um, and it's also uh, that sense of implication is told with the intent of gaining support from the other person. To tell a story usually requires that one partner is graphic and specific while at the same time being selective in what details are shared. The purpose of the story is not to get the past right, but to demonstrate something about oneself. So the storyteller doesn't hide behind generalities, but selects the facts that have the most impact so as to elicit a response. Any story is really a dialogue because it seeks to be engaging so that the other partner will respond. 
People are rarely bored by authentic self-disclosure as story because they recognize the invitation to respond and act, uh, an act of humility. They, they recognize that invitation and they have humility in response to it. And they also recognize it as an invitation into a relationship. And the person who tells a story admits to who he or she is in a way that reaches out for the other. So we should tell our partners stories that request a response, not histories that are bland recountings of the facts. When we tell our partners these kinds of stories, we're able to move kind of up the chain of, of intimacy, or when we're able to move from observations or thoughts to feelings and needs, and we do so in a way that invites the other person into our life um, more intimately. Um, so that last part, story also uh, allows for authenticity. And at some point, we're gonna have to talk about congruence and authenticity. But for the time being, the story has to match up with authentically how you really feel or what your real thoughts about the thing are, uh, about what, what happened happens to be. Uh, without that level of authenticity, odds are the disclosure is not going to work. Um, those are really rules that are centered around uh, self-disclosure in interpersonal relationships. I also want to talk for a couple of minutes about self-disclosure in small group uh, encounters. So. Um, Maybe you've been on a team or you work in a situation where you have someone that discloses a lot in a kind of group setting. And these people can be really troubling. And self-disclosure, the, the first rule of thumb here is that know that in small group settings or in team settings, self-disclosure works differently than in interpersonal relationships. So if you're really smitten with someone, you're out on a date and you're like, oh, I like peanut butter, you know, observation and your partner's really into you also, and they're like, oh, I like peanut butter too, this is wonderful. Now we share something in common, okay? That is the development of a little bit of trust and a little bit more interest and liking and all sorts of things, and that's great. And if you're in a team setting and you walk into a meeting and you're like, you know, I like peanut butter, everyone might look at you like, what the hell are you talking about? Who cares if you like peanut butter? That's kind of not necessary, not important personal information here. So the thing you have to look out for in small group situations is that sometimes disclosure can be really inappropriate. Sometimes it can derail the communicative process that's unfolding. However, at the same time, self-disclosure can be really useful for developing relationships within a team. And when we get to talk about small group communication, which we haven't started talking about yet at all, what we'll learn is that teams, uh, Teams that perform more effectively are basically teams that have solid relational communication practices where people get along well. And in order for people to get along well, they have there has to be trust and intimacy. And what I'm telling you here is that trust and intimacy, one of the ways to generate them, not just through active listening, but is also through self-disclosure. Okay, fine. So I need to engage in self-disclosure in a team setting if I'm going to have good relational communication practices and my team is going to perform well. Yes, absolutely. However, some forms of self-disclosure, you know, I like peanut butter, are what are called unrelated in a group setting. And unrelated self-disclosure in a group setting can be harmful. It can detract from the group process. So in small group communication, we make a distinction between related self-disclosure and unrelated self-disclosure. Related self-disclosure is when you take some thought, some uh, sorry, some observation, some thought, some feeling, or some need that you have articulated to the group or to the team and show that that thought, observation, or feeling is related somehow to the team's functioning or to other members of the team. So um, I was working in a group, uh, I had a 
group class one time and things were not going very well. And I was like, okay, I'm going to tell a story about another team I was on. And I told the story about this restaurant I worked at where I had a bunch of friends, but everyone seemed to get along. And I told this really kind of detailed and specific thing that happened at the restaurant, including a lightning storm and all this stuff. Um, and then at the end of the story, I said, you know, the reason I chose to kind of tell you about this part of my life is that what's happening in this group reminds me of that because this group is kind of almost on the cusp of being able to function like that group did, but somehow we keep getting stuck in this particular way. You know, does anybody else have any group experiences like that that can help us as a group move through this particular problem? Um, so I went in that direction. I was trying to go in that direction because I was trying to relate the story to something that the group was experiencing at the time. So in small group communication, we want we want to uh, we want to engage in related self-disclosure. We want to tell things, so either observations, thoughts, feelings, or needs about us, but not just any observations, thoughts, feelings, or needs. Observations, thoughts, feelings, or needs, usually in the form of a story, that are somehow related to what's happening in the group at the moment. Because you don't want to be that person that's just introducing irrelevant and unrelated facts into a conversation. That person's communicative narcissist and isn't very helpful for small group work. If you engage in related self-disclosure, what you'll find is that people will share their own stories. Um, and there's great evidence of this. A guy named Jeffrey Stout has this beautiful book called Blessed Are the Organized, um, in which he kind of goes around and uh, witnesses the telling of story in these group meetings and how the story binds people to one another and how they understand and relate the stories to one another so that they have a better sense of what uh, challenges they're facing as a community, et cetera. Um, anyway, the, that related self-disclosure forms team bonds really, really effectively. Unrelated self-disclosure doesn't. Uh, the last thing I should say is something about um, public speaking or public address or public communication. Uh, that Selena Meyer thing, uh, you know, we often blame Hillary Clinton right now for not being authentic or not knowing where she stands or um, the, the accusations against Hillary Clinton are largely because very rarely do we sense any sense of authentic self-disclosure from Hillary Clinton. She doesn't tell us a story about who she is that relates her feelings or her needs. Um, sometimes we get her thoughts. We don't always even get her thoughts. We just get observations sometimes. Um, and so that causes the audience, it causes the American public to feel some distance from her. Compare that to Barack Obama, who disclosed an awful lot about his upbringing. He was constantly narrating the story of his life, biracial parents, uh, growing up in Hawaii, the challenges he faced, etc. Um, he was trying in story to disclose things about his life so that we felt closer to him. And it worked. I mean, the public felt closer to him affectively. So you should know in public speaking or public address, the disclosure of personal information, either through observation, thought, feelings, or needs, also works toward developing a connection between a speaker and an audience. And it can develop a sense of intimacy, a sense that you really know this person, a sense that you're closer to them, even when you're not, even when you don't have any interpersonal, deep interpersonal connection with this other person. Uh, disclosure, self-disclosure is really the kind of best or one of the best mechanisms for developing that intimacy, even in those public communication settings. So if I was Hillary Clinton's campaign advisor, I would say something like, you need to disclose more personal information, more thoughts and more feelings uh, and more needs that you have, and that will make you seem more real and make the audience feel as if they are closer to you. Of course, I doubt very much that she's going to do that. Um, Donald Trump, um, we get an endless barrage of his thoughts and his feelings and his needs. It's constantly that. 
Um, and he may be a crazy idiot, but uh, there are certain segments of the population that he resonates with strongly, affectively, emotionally, uh, that feel close to him. And one of the routes to that is through this kind of self-disclosure. Okay, so that self-disclosure is an interpersonal practice. It's a team practice. It's a public speaking practice as well. It's all those practices. It's all of those wrapped into one. Um, I'd say, off a, uh, if I was going to summarize this shortly, I'd say if you want to have a better interpersonal relationships, you need to make sure you're focusing and doing all four of those categories of self-disclosure in timely and appropriate ways. So that's it for episode this episode of now we're talking we'll be back next week and hopefully maybe we'll switch to small group or teamwork or something else besides interpersonal communication thanks for listening and if you have any comments or questions you can leave them for me and we can one day we'll hopefully we'll do an episode with uh, that tries to answer your questions thanks and take care